How are we all? It's all right, Sarah. Great. Well, it's the 8th of December. I'd like to thank Trev for giving me this date because I have one of two options to preach on this morning. Either Christmas or politics. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to preach on politics. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> But what I am going to say is, uh, our country needs Jesus. More than any time that I've known, our country needs Jesus. We are, as a country, we are divided, and our country needs the love and the compassion of Jesus. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will come and heal their land. And so... I want to invite you to come down on Wednesday and pray. And as part of the prayer meeting, we're going to pray for our country. Less than 12 hours out from the election, we're going to pray for our country. We're going to pray for the politicians. We're going to pray for the people. We're going to pray that God would move in this nation. Um, you know, Ness Wilson, when some of you may have heard her use this phrase, contending for the next great awakening. And that's a phrase that's been used um, by... An event called Wildfires, which Pioneer are a part of organising. And it's basically a group of people who are coming together to contend and to pray for the next Great Awakening. God is, we are on the verge of something amazing in this nation. And God is on the move. And so when we pray, God will move. And so I just want to invite you and challenge you as well. Maybe move some stuff around and come down and pray for our nation. Because our nation needs us to pray. All right? So, Christmas then. Somebody's excited. Is it Gina? <laughs> Are we all feeling Christmassy? Yes. yes. So, <laughs> um, well, we're in Advent, okay? And, and I personally have, have struggled a little bit to get Christmassy, but I'm getting there. We went to the Peaceful yesterday, had a lovely day in Halifax. Uh, wandering around there, getting a bit Christmassy, Christmas song, Phoebe's insisting on Christmas songs going on. Um, and Advent is the time I think you can get Christmassy, yeah? <laughs> From the 1st of December, you can get Christmassy. Before that, forget it, all right? <laughs> yeah? October, no. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> but Advent is the time of preparation. Advent is the time when we prepare. Because Advent means, literally Advent in the Latin means coming. And we are preparing for the coming king. Advent is a time of preparing for the coming king. And I believe that actually this season of Advent for us as a church is prophetic for where we are right now. Because a new day is dawning, isn't it? A new day is dawning. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already read it, in the monthly news, Trev's written, uh, Alison's written it, sorry, they don't tell me he wrote it, it was just there. Um, Alison's written a thing on the new day, a reflection on the new day, and I encourage you to read that, read it multiple times, reflect on it, ask God what it means for you, but a new day is coming. But you know, it's quite easy in this moment to take our foot off the gas a little bit take our foot off the accelerator to kind of stop and say, right, we've gone through what we've gone through and the new day is coming, so I'm just going to sit here and wait and see. And just wait for, the, wait for the 8th of January, see what the leaders have to say at a meeting and, and just kind of not do anything. 
Now, I'm not talking about resting, all right? We've talked about resting before. Resting is important. Alison, in that, in that reflection, talks about resting, but I'm talking about like literally not doing anything and just going, right, we'll just see what happens. Wait for the eighth. But the problem with doing that, the problem with stopping and just waiting and just and going, okay, we'll see what happens. The problem with that is it slows down our responsiveness to the new thing. It will slow down our responsiveness to what God has for us in this new day, and it will reduce our effectiveness. I want you to imagine Christmas Day comes, Christmas Day morning comes, and I want you to imagine that you have done no preparation. Now, some people are very organized. Some people will have started their Christmas shopping in January. My auntie, I really hope she never listens to this, my auntie once gave me a diary, and I knew that she'd started her Christmas shopping in January because it was for the year before. (laughs) I had approximately, is it seven days worth of diary usage available to me? Some people start in January. Some people, probably a lot of us, (laughs) wouldn't like to admit it, probably start the week before, maybe even Christmas Eve. But most of us would do some kind of preparation before Christmas Day. Because otherwise, Christmas Day comes, we wake up, we go downstairs into the lounge, completely bare. Oh, I need a tree. Where'd you get a tree on Christmas Day? Oh, I need a turkey. Oh, no, this shop's shut. Sainsbury's is shut. Yeah? Where, where do we put the presents? There's no stockings. We forgot to hang them up. Christmas Day, it, it wouldn't work <laughs> without the preparation, without us putting time and effort into it. And the other thing that happens if we just stop is it discounts what, hap- what might happen today. So I need some water. If we just stop and say, right, God's going to do a new thing in January, then we're discounting what he might do today. We're discounting that suddenly that Sarah was talking about. We're discounting the miracle that might happen today. So this, I believe, is a time to prepare. It's a time for us to actively get ready for the new day. Ness, when she was here, was talking about cleaning the nets and strengthening the nets. It's time for us to be doing something. Not in a kind of, I just need to do something kind of way, but in a deliberate preparation type way. Doing something. Establishing patterns in our lives. Establishing mindsets that we're going to need for the new day. And that does include rest. That does include resting in him. But we need to do something. We need to prepare because it is new. It is going to be different. It is going to feel different. It already does. It feels different. God is going to do new and exciting things that we've never seen before. And so we need to be prepared for what that might look like. So we're going to look this morning at some of the Christmas story. And we're going to start at the end of the Christmas story and go backwards. Now, I'm going to trust that most of us know the Christmas story. So um, I'm not going to read the whole of it, but we're going to start at the end. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to look at the wise men to start with. It says, now, I'm in the ESV. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, there's the first clue of what happens in the Christmas story. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Excuse me. So the wise men, the magi, as uh, the NIV refers to them, we don't know much about the wise men. This is the only place they're mentioned. And I did a bit of research, and some people say they were from Babylon. Some people say they were from Persia. Others, even further away, possibly even China. Some say they were astrologers, while others say, and I quite like this one, others say they were more like monk-like mystics. What we do know about the wise men, though, is they understood what the star meant. They saw the star in the sky, and they understood what it meant. The star meant the new king had been born. And at a time when others completely missed it, others being the chief priests and the scribes of God's own people, the ones that should have known best, at that time, these men knew what the star meant. And not only did they know what it meant, but they knew how to respond. They knew that when the new king came, they had to go and worship. And they bought their gifts, and the gifts had significance. They bought gold, which meant he was a king. They bought frankincense, which meant he was a deity. They knew Jesus was God. They bought myrrh, which is an embalming oil, which means signifies mortality and death. They knew who Jesus was. They knew God better than God's chosen people. Now, this reminded me of something. Go on, we'll show it. I debated whether to show this. Sorry, I thought it was. Andy Sound. That your powers of retention are as wet as a warthog's backside. 
but thick as you are, pay attention. My words are a matter of pride. It's clear from your vacant expression. The lights are not all on upstairs. But we are talking kings and successions. <laughs> Even you can't be caught unawares. Oh, oh prepare for the chance of a lifetime. Be prepared for sensational news. A shiny new era is tiptoeing nearer. And where do we feature? Just listen to teacher. I know it sounds sordid, but you'll be rewarded. When at last I am given my dues. And injustice deliciously square. Be prepared. Yeah, be prepared. Yeah, we'll be prepared. For the death of the king. Why, is he sick? No, fool, we're going to kill him. And Simba, too. Great idea! Who needs a king? No, no king, no king. king. La, 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 la. Idiots, there will be a king. Hey, you said... Uh... I will be king. Stick with me, and you'll never go hungry again. You'll have to go home and watch the rest of The Lion King to watch the rest of it. But um, I thought of that because these hyenas are, they're the people. And Scar, who's the, if you haven't seen The Lion King, Scar is the evil lion. Uh, Scar is telling them, I've got a plan. We're going to kill the current king and then I will be king. But the hyenas don't get it. And so the hyenas, when they say... There's no king. When Scar says, we're going to kill the king, they say, great! No king! No king! La, 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 la. And he says, Scar says to them, idiots, there will be a king. I will be king. See, they don't understand what's going on. They have no concept of what's going on. But there is a plan. And so I was reminded of this as I was planning this, that sometimes God does stuff and God is doing stuff and we think, we think one thing's going to happen, but actually God says, no, this is it. This is what's going to happen. And just like here, just like in the story of the wise men, the wise men knew God better than God's chosen people. They knew God better than his chosen people. They knew what the star meant. God's chosen people missed it. How sad is that? How sad is it? Just like the hyenas completely missed the point. In this, in, in Matthew 2, God's people completely missed it. So our first point this morning is be prepared in knowing God. The more we know God, the more we know how to move and respond as he would. God has really impressed on me this year. This year, I would say, more than any other year, and and I've always known this, but this year, God has impressed on me more the importance of spending time getting to know him, the importance of the secret place, the importance of the quiet place, the importance of going before him. And I want to encourage you. you We need to be spending time in the word, more and more time. I am... Every time I read this, I'm more and more convinced of its value. 
I am more and more convinced of its relevance. I am more and more convinced of its worth. We need to spend time feasting and studying and meditating on the word of God. We need to spend time praying. Not just for situations, not just, God, would you do this? God, would you do this? God, would you sort this situation out? God, would you heal this? All those things are great, but we need to just spend time waiting before him in the quiet, seeking him, listening to what he says, praying as we walk down the streets. God, what are you doing today? God, what are you saying to me? God, what, what do you want to change in me? We need to spend time worshipping and praising him on our own, in the secret place, and also as part of his body. And then we also, I believe, we need to spend time reading and listening to what God is saying. Firstly to us, I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to the words that have come, go back and listen to them. Make it a point, make it a point in your week that you go back and listen to what's been preached on a Sunday morning. Make it a point in your week to meditate and spend time saying, God, what are you saying to us as a church? But also to others. You know, I have, I've read and I've been challenged by some incredibly good stuff out there this year, some books, some things on the internet. And yeah, we have to look at them with filters. We have to look at them and we have to weigh them up because those aren't the situations we're in. But it's important that we know what God's doing because God moves in patterns and God moves in waves. And, and if we aren't aware of what God's doing over there, then it might catch us out when it gets here. I remember back in the 90s, uh, there was a massive breakout of the Holy Spirit in Toronto. Many of you will remember it. The Toronto Blessing, it was, called, it was nicknamed. And I remember being in a meeting, uh, and I can't remember how old I was, 10-ish, sometime around there. I remember being in a meeting, and people were being prayed for, and someone fell over and started shaking in the spirit, and it was the first ever time I'd seen it. And I remember as a, as a kid being frightened. <laughs> what's going on here? This person having a fit. <laughs> what, what's happening there? But the leaders of the church I was in at the time knew what God was doing around the world and they said, it's come here. They knew instantly. God, told, God gave them a peace and they knew the signs and so they were able to respond to what God was doing. And immediately they took control of the situation, not in a controlling way, but they were able to tell us, they were able to explain to us what God was doing. It's important that we know what God is doing around the world. And it's easy, isn't it, for me to stand up here this morning and talk about these things to do, to pray, to read the Bible, to spend time worshipping. And, and we could be thinking, well, that sounds like a lot of time. That sounds like a lot of time for me to do, and I've got things busy. I'm, I'm busy. But I want to encourage you. I believe in sowing and reaping time. You know, we talk a lot about money and things like that. And we talk about sowing and reaping of our finances. But I believe that actually if you sow your time into God, you reap. God will provide everything you need. And as we sow our time into him, as we sow, sow that time, spending time in the scriptures or praying for people or walking with him, as we sow time, then God, reveals, God will make things happen. 
I remember when I um, I was studying, someone said to me, you know, take time out to pray. And people said, oh, you don't have time to pray. You've got to study. But actually the peace of God that came on me when I prayed meant it was easier to study. God will provide everything you need. And if we spend time, if we spend time preparing, if we spend time getting to know him more, then we know his heart. And for, we know his heart for us. We know his heart for those around us. We know his heart for the church. We learn more and more his compassion, his unending, all-conquering love. We know more and more that all have fallen short of the glory of God, but that all are accepted, and that he welcomes all of us in. And it allows us to respond with boldness. It allows us to be confident in what we have, not just when he's obviously moving, like your meetings and stuff, but also respond in those everyday circumstances, respond in those everyday situations, respond in those everyday questions that come up. Because God will show up in the everyday. And that's our second point. Be prepared for the everyday encounters. Be prepared for the everyday encounters. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day, in the city of David, a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on peace on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Shepherds working, standing on the side of a hill, watching their flocks by night. And God turns up. Quite spectacularly, God turns up. Undeniably. I want to ask you a question this morning. What would it look like for God to turn up in your everyday? What would it look like for God to turn up in your work, in your home, in your school, in your college, in the supermarket? You know, if you're like me, it's easy to compartmentalize stuff, isn't it? And God, it's nice and easy because God fits into the Sundays between kind of nine and one, maybe a bit later, depending on how tired I am and how grumpy I get on with the kids. And, and then maybe a few times in the, in the evenings during the week and maybe a couple of other spots. So God fits in there. And then, and then the rest of my life kind of just happens. 
and I go to work and, and I see people. And sometimes I might have a conversation where I mention that I went to church on Sunday. And occasionally, occasionally I might pray for someone. But it's not meant to be like that. God wants to show up in our everyday. What if we were prepared for God to do more? What if we were prepared for the suddenly? You know, during this Christmas season, are we prepared for the suddenly? Are we prepared for God to turn up at any point? Are we prepared for God to turn up at a Christmas party? Are we prepared for God to turn up at Christmas dinner? Are we prepared for God to turn up in the afternoon on Christmas Day? Are we prepared to turn, for God to turn up when we're out with our friends, when we're with our families? I want to challenge us. You know, an excess of anything other than God inhibits our ability to respond to the suddenly. The only thing, and I'm challenging myself here as well, the only thing there should be an excess of is God's presence. Because an excess of anything else stops me responding. If I'm sat there on the sofa on Christmas Day, like, oh, I can't move. What happens if God says move? <laughs> what if God suddenly turned up? Well, I've got news for you. He already has. Colossians 1 verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has already turned up because he is in you. The reason God turned up at Liz and Sarah's workplace, because he's in them. He didn't just, an angel didn't just suddenly appear. He moved through them. So the question isn't really, what would it look like if he turned up? But more, are we prepared for him to be seen rather than us? Am I prepared for God to be on display more than me? Because when you're prepared for that, miracles come. Acts 3, you'll remember the story of Peter and John as they're walking to the temple and, some, and a, there's a blind man and he says, can you give me some gold and silver? And they turn around and they say, gold and silver I don't have. For what I do have, I give to you. And they heal him. Is he blind or lame? I think they said, get up and walk. He's lame, sorry. But they have within him, they have Jesus. Within him, within them, they have the Holy Spirit. So when someone says, I need this, they say, actually, I can give you this. Miracles come. You know, the Holy Spirit longs to move through his people. And when he does, salvation will come. I believe this is how revival will come. You know, we pray for a revival, don't we? Like, suddenly we're going to be stood here on a Sunday morning and suddenly the entirety of Huddersfield is going to come through those doors. But actually, I believe revival comes through God working through me with the people I interact with day in, day out. God moves through, through me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That verse I mentioned earlier, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people will pray and humble themselves. Humbling isn't false humility. It's not saying, whoa, isn't me. But it's saying actually less of me and more of God. 
And if I humble myself and if I pray, God promises he will heal my land. But you know, this, this is disruptive. This is going to cause disruption. And that's our third point. Be prepared to be disrupted. Let's go to Luke 1. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Jesus, uh, name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, "Greetings, O favoured one; the Lord is with you." But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold." You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We'll stop there. Oh, sorry, verse 38, sorry. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. If we ever want to see a model of how God's plans can disrupt ours, we need to look no further than Mary. And it's easy to think of the Christmas story, Mary in the context of the Christmas story and in the context of the nativity plays that we go to. You know, nine months pregnant, dressed in blue for all the time, has a baby in a stable, nice and clean, nice and easy, job done. Occasionally in the story appears, like in the wedding in Cana. But the reality is a girl whose life was completely disrupted by God by his calling for her. And before we even get to the actual having a baby bit, we need to think there was shame on her for being pregnant outside of marriage, something that was completely culturally unacceptable. She had to go through dealing with all this with Joseph, the man that she was meant to be marrying and that she did marry. And then there's the pregnancy, isn't there? Now, I didn't personally go through it, but I know some people that have. And from what I can ascertain, it's not an easy ride. <laughs> now, combine all, all that you know and all have seen of pregnancy, combine that with traveling to Bethlehem on a donkey, <laughs> and then birth... I mean, it's hard enough to get to Calderdale sometimes. <laughs> birth isn't easy now. It's not an easy thing now in a hospital surrounded by midwives who are trained. Imagine it in a stable on your own with only your husband who's thinking, why, am, why are we having a baby in a stable? And then there's the parenting. And I think we, we just don't think about this bit, do we, when it comes to Jesus and to, to Mary. There's the parenting. How do you discipline the Son of God? You know, when, when Jesus goes missing, when he goes to the temple when he's a boy, and he, he goes to, you know, that famous bit where, where Mary goes in and he says, well, did you not know I'd be here? Like, 
Right, we lost Phoebe a couple of years ago in Primark in York for five minutes. Probably the scariest moments of our parenting lives. We've got phones and there's CCTV. Imagine being on your way and then not being able to find Jesus in that. And then, as he grows, he grows into his ministry. You see him do everything that you believe he's called to do. And he's accepted by many, but then he's mocked by others. And then ultimately, he gets executed on the cross. And you watch your son die on a cross, a death that he didn't deserve. You know, I'm pretty sure that when Mary was a kid, this isn't the life she thought she would have. God will disrupt our plans. And we have to prepare to be disrupted. Now, we can't prepare for what the disruption is. If we could, it wouldn't be disruption. We can't prepare for what the disruption is, but we can prepare to be disrupted. And God will disrupt each of us differently. He knows us best. He knows what we can handle best. And so for each of us, what it looks like is different. For some of us, a tiny little change, that's enough disruption. Some of us, he's going to move us to the other side of the world. But I want to challenge us this morning. Are there any places, any times in our lives which we hold on to and say, this isn't being disrupted? Are there things, are there places, are there spaces that we're holding on to that we need to let go of, that we need to allow God into? We need to say, God, if you want to disrupt this, go for it. You know, we need to have conversations with each other both as a church, uh, family hubs are great for this sort of thing. What does disruption look like? But also in our families, also with our wives and our husbands, also with our friends. What might disruption look like? How might we handle disruption? How do we weigh up what God is saying to us? You know, we, be, we need to be prepared to say yes sometimes, but we also need to be prepared to say no to some people. Sometimes God will, do, will cause us to do something that it means that we have to say yes to some people and no to some people. And as a family, we need to not be easily offended. Because it's really easy to be offended when you ring someone up and say, can you come for lunch? Do you want to come and do this? And they say, no, because I'm doing this. It's really easy to be offended, but we need to not be easily offended. Because God is going to disrupt our lives in an amazing way. And what about today? What if God moved in a way today that disrupted things completely? You know, I remember when I was a teenager, um, we, had a meet, we had a few meetings at my old church where angels turned up. Um, I didn't see them, but some friends of mine did. And I remember <laughs> one girl had to be carried out. It was amazing because... <laughs> uh, God, God just fought her and she couldn't move. But I remember being in that place and knowing it was holy ground and knowing that we couldn't leave. And, and it disrupted plans. What if God did something like that today? You know, I don't know how many of you have heard of the 24-7 prayer movement. But the 24-7 prayer movement is a prayer movement where people started to pray. They, they dared each other to pray for a week, non-stop. That prayer movement is still going. <laughs> and that was 25 years ago. 
20 years ago, 20 years ago, some guys started praying. God took it and completely disrupted it. I said, no, I want you to keep praying. And now people are praying all over the world continuously. What about Christmas? We need to be prepared for God to move during this season. Let's not switch off. I want to encourage us, don't switch off. You know, we, it's so easy, isn't it, to go through all the emotions of Christmas, to go through the nativities, to go do the shopping, to do Christmas Day, whether you do it with your family or we do it with friends, or, and to go through it and to get to the end and kind of go, well, Jesus was there somewhere. But I want to challenge us. Allow God to disrupt our Christmas plans. We need to be prepared for this disruption. Because a new day is coming, but it has already come. A new day is coming, but it has already come. So be prepared in knowing God. Be prepared for the everyday encounters. And be prepared to be disrupted. Mary, in the NIV, she's referred to as highly favoured. I just want to end by saying you are highly favoured. You are highly favoured by him. So allow him to come and move and change us.